this week's episode of The Last Refuge. I'm your friendly neighborhood dungeon master, DM Jazzy Hands, also known as Eugenio, and with me I have... Lydia, known as Bizdira. Karin, I play Kit. And Alex, I usually play Flick. Usually? Not always, though, right? Not always. Not Sometimes. <laughs> I'm not. Subject to change. <laughs> Sometimes. I play Subject other games of D&D. <laughs> Do you? All right. Happy New Year, everybody. It's January 2nd, I think, when this is coming out. So Happy New Year. We hope you all had very happy, healthy, safe, and uh, perhaps uh, poorly choiced holiday season and New Year. Hope you had fun. (laughs) And now you are recovering. Last week, the party headed back to the mysterious ancient summoning circle so that Flick could practice his consecration ritual on another site that was bound to be imbued with old and powerful magic. What they didn't count on was magical leakage from the site, animating some of the local flora, causing a flesh-eating, magic-absorbing tree to try to consume the three of them. They defeated it, though, of course, and then realized that maybe they should check to be sure that this plan was a sound one. So Flick cast Augury to see if consecrating the well was a good idea. It wasn't. <laughs> the decision now is whether to continue east to try to intercept Bria at the, as she returns from Silfson, or to turn back west, say screw it all, and go consecrate the temple right now. That decision, however, is for another day. This week and next week, we're going to be doing some very special episodes to bring everything into focus as we begin to approach the climax of this campaign arc. Well, that, and I won't lie to you, recording schedules in December kind of suck, and we're recording this in December, and we're really also very close to getting Bria back full-time, and we don't want to press forward too much until we have her back with us, because that's very exciting. So, we're going to spend these two weeks uh, having some Q&As about everything that's happened over the last year and a half. Hopefully, the week after that, we're going to have an all-Bria episode that brings us up to speed on what she's been doing, uh, while the rest of the crew was off assassinating political leaders in Silfson, and then... (laughs) Fingers crossed, the band will be back together, and we will press forward with the story at the end of the month. For now, though, let's get this conversation started. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hi. How are we doing this week? Good. Pretty good. Okay. All right. Little hesitation, but we got there. (laughs) Good. Good, good, good. Okay, so um, like I said, this week we're just going to sort of talk about some uh, some general thoughts about the campaign. Um, if you all have questions, we're going to go over that. We're going to go over thoughts and feelings. Maybe I will update you a little bit on some of the things that are going on around the Last Refuge. Although I don't want to, I don't want to give away too much. But there may be some things that we can we can talk about a little bit. So I guess the first thing that I want to um, ask you all because uh, we are going to be talking as ourselves uh, and not so much as our characters. And I do think this will have a little bit of a bearing on sort of the things that we talk about today. So why don't we go around and just really quickly talk about um, your background with D&D, when you started playing, how long you've been playing um, and things like that. And whether this is uh, the most important question is whether this is your first homebrew uh, campaign or not, because I think that will have bearing on some of our questions. So I'll start. Um, this is not my first homebrew campaign, but it is my first homebrew setting that I've created. I've been playing um, for just a little bit longer than 5th edition has existed, mostly played in the Forgotten Realms and mostly have done published adventures prior to this. Um, homebrewed some stuff for my original home campaign, which two of you were in, uh, mm-hmm. but this is my first homebrew world so that's uh informed my creation of the last refuge a lot uh alex oh here we are um, here we are 
Hello, listeners. Uh, my name is Alex, and I play Flick. <laughs> um, and <laughs> good morning. Uh, I started playing D&D. Uh, Eugenio and I were roommates, fun fact, uh, way back when. And uh, we, I was schlepping through the dining room one day and there were these people sitting at my dining room table uh and they lydia was one of them and uh they said hey do you want to have some wine with us and i was like sure (laughs) i was like yeah we knew him well we knew how to get his attention first twist my arm absolutely and then uh they were like oh by the way we're playing D &D. do you want to roll some dice as well (laughs) And I was like, what the? I was like, sure, whatever. I'll roll some dice. And then uh, the rest is history, really. Uh, and that became our very regular D&D group for a long time. What else did you say? Mostly Forgotten Realms. Mostly Forgotten Realms. Um, I homebrewed some stuff for that, but homebrewed. it was all set Yeah, in I've never... This yeah. is my first full homebrew campaign that I've ever played in. I've played a lot of homebrew mm-hmm. adventures, um, like yeah. kind of one-offs and things. But that's really... This is my full whole encompassing world which is very exciting all right um who's next well, since lydia was part of of that group we'll hop down to her and spoiler alert a lot of her answers are going to be very similar <laughs> to what you've just heard alex and i say yes. but she has also dm'd more than i have too so that's true that's true a bit yeah okay so basically same thing um of course. Except uh, we didn't have to tempt you with wine to start. You were already part of the group. No, I was already part of the group. So <laughs> one of the things that uh, Eugenia wasn't actually there for was the very beginning idea of getting into the D&D. That is which true. Which started with a girl's night with Taryn. Taryn had this like a moment where she's like, guys, I've always wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. And it's always been the boys playing it and they would never let me play. And I remember growing up and my brothers played Dungeons and Dragons too, mainly my oldest brother. And I was like, well, I mean, I'll play anything. You give, if there's wine involved, I'm there. Like, <laughs> okay, let's so, do this. So maybe it was the wine. <laughs> so Lydia, um, so you were part of that campaign as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, so your story in terms of homebrew and playing in Faerun is mostly the same. But you also, when I was out of town doing a show, you also DM'd a little bit, right? Yeah. So we'd get our little D and D fix by, I would run a little one off. But the funny thing about it was that I'm only familiar with, uh, fifth edition, and these would be like 3.5, uh, campaigns. Oh, so I'd yeah. have to adjust everything. Otherwise, I'd kill off uh, all the <laughs> PCs, like, within seconds. All right. So much the same story there in terms of experience. Karen, was your first D&D session completely wine soaked? Um, I think so. I think it was too. I can't remember, but I'm I think pretty so. sure it was. Um, <laughs> but I am the, the newbie of the group. Um, you were the I, newbie. You're yes, no longer a newbie. Not anymore, but it was approximately, almost exactly two years ago, actually, oh that uh, Eugenio and I were at a uh, holiday lunch for my company. Oh, yeah. Uh, that Huge uh, also used to work for, which is how we originally met. And we were at this holiday lunch talking about nerdy things. And then at one point... Uh, Huge turns over to me and says, so you're a nerd, right? And I was like, <laughs> yes, what possibly could have given that away? <laughs> um, and so he was like, okay, great. I have a thing that I want you to be a, par- to be a part of. I'll text you about it later. And so later, uh, Eugenio texted me and asked if I've ever played Dungeons & Dragons or if I was interested because he wanted to start a podcast. And I said, 
sure, that sounds new and interesting and unlike <laughs> anything I've ever done before. And why wouldn't I want to be a part of that? Um, and so it was a couple months after that that we ran like a practice campaign both for fun, but also, I think, so that I could learn some of the basics before we started the podcast. Um, and I think we only played that, like, one time. I think right? so, too. Yeah. Um, I think so, too. And I have to tell you all, Karin picked up the the gist of the game very quickly, which is why we only needed to do it once before we started recording. <laughs> she oh, was yeah. on top of it. Yes, I remember that's what you said. You were like, well, I want somebody new on the podcast who's never played before, but I also want somebody <laughs> smart who will figure out how to play the game really fast. Right. It's it's only fun and helpful to the listeners to explain which die is a D20 so many times. Exactly. And I just re-listened to the first episode. I only asked one time. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And that one, if I recall correctly, that one shot was also in Faerun, right? Like it was in the Forgotten Realms. I think Realms. so. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, the long, the short version of this long story is that for pretty much all of us, this is really our first time diving into a completely homebrewed story and a completely homebrewed world. Sort of narrowing in then, tell me about like your experiences with the various populations on the island, right? So as far as you all are aware, with the, with the one exception of our anniversary episode, the only other like sentient communicative, intelligent beings that you've encountered are the kobolds, the orcs, and the Yuan-Ti, right? Now, mm-hmm. that in and of itself is is a little unusual, right? If those are the only sentient races on on The Last Refuge. Absolutely. So what has, what is that sort of, exp- like, tell me about that a little bit and, like, how you found that sort of limitation of people to interact with. Um, I guess, I don't know. I don't necessarily think that I've, I don't know about any of you all, but I don't think I've thought about it as a limitation. Um, I think it makes it a really, yeah, it makes it interesting to explore the world kind of knowing that it's factioned off and that there are just like, it gives us a sense, I think, as players of, uh, especially as we, now that we know all three of the factions plus the Guardians, it gives us a sense of what we're going to encounter as we go along, Mm -hmm. which is, um, helpful given how many unknowns there are um yeah i don't know if that gets it yeah no no it is that's really great and it's actually something that i've been thinking about a lot lately um i wanted to create it's it's a little cliche but i sort of wanted to create this like starter islands like you have in video game rpgs right where everything was a little bit simpler a little bit more straightforward to sort of bring you all into the world into the campaign into the story um but something i've been thinking about a lot and and part of this was um uh, came up in discussions at some of the panels that i attended at pax unplugged um that on the one hand, um, these sort of monolithic cultures, right, the kobolds, the orcs, and the Yuan-Ti, are very helpful um, to you all as newcomers to this world. Um, because like you said, it, it allows you to set expectations for what you're going to encounter, what you can handle, what you want to accomplish. On the other hand, like sort of in general in the world in terms of like representation in life, monolithic cultures are not great, Right? Like, in fiction in the past, the idea of, like, an entire people being exactly the same has been used in some pretty unfortunately racist tropes. Sure, 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 sure. And when I, when I started creating this world, obviously that was obviously not my intent, but also sort of not something that I 
um, knew enough about and was honestly that I didn't think enough about when I was creating. Um, and so I, I don't necessarily regret anything that I've created here in The Last Refuge. And I, I do think that my goals to sort of give you all an in to understanding the world were accomplished. But looking forward, I do think that as I flesh out things beyond this starter island, I want to be really careful and I, and I want you all to help me and remind me to be really careful, um, about like breaking some of the tropes and traditions of Dungeons and Dragons in general and fantasy in general and not allowing ourselves to fall into the idea that like there exist whole peoples that are exactly the same. Cause that's A, not realistic and B, like can be harmful if we aren't careful. Right. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you're right. And I think to kind of piggyback off of that two points, one's the small point. I think it does raise the stakes for us as characters because sure. we don't look like anybody else. And we're, if we're talking about race specifically, I mean, we look so different from anybody that they've ever, even they've ever seen on The Last Refuge. So I think that's an interesting, that's been an interesting sort of flavor on our characters. And then I actually wanted to ask you, um, mm-hmm. Eugenio, uh, what was yeah. your, I, I was thinking about what I wanted to ask in this episode and what sort of inspired you to create this sort of three factioned off island? What, what was your sort of like source? Was there any source material? Was, I mean, what, what's that story? Yeah. So like I said, in the, the general idea was that I wanted there to be a very easily accessible opening place for you all to, to explore and understand the world. Right. Um, in terms of more specifically, one of the things was that I knew, uh, particularly with the Kobolds and the Yuan-Ti, um, I wanted to pick, uh, sort of low level creatures that weren't goblins, right? And weren't, um, well, I ended up with orcs, but I, you know, we sort of changed their background story a little bit, but I, I wanted something a little more unique. Um, so whole societies of kobolds are not as common as whole societies of orcs, right? Um, or goblins or what have you. So I wanted something a little bit different. And then I went a step further and with the help of Robert, our story consultant, um, we also went in and just sort of switched up the, the narrative about who these tribes and who these species were, right? Kobolds traditionally are meant to be like thieving, conniving, cowardly, uh, generally evil little lizard folk, right? Although lizard folk is a different monster. That's a different, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's a different um, thing. Right? So we flipped that narrative on its head, on its head and made them really your only true allies here on the last refuge, right? Um, the Yuan-Ti are uh, not quite as on its head, but like that whole society's reliance on magic items is sort of a new idea. The orcs matriarchy is sort of a new idea. That's right? what I was going to say. So too. I took mm-hmm. these things and I, and I sort of wanted to change them up a little bit. Um, I also knew that I didn't want any of them to be the traditional, you know, I didn't want any regular goodly quote unquote humanoids, right? I didn't want any elves. I didn't want any humans. I didn't want any gnomes and halflings on the world for a couple of reasons. And one is one that you already pointed out. I wanted you all to feel like the strangers. A little isolated, right? right? I wanted you to stand out. I wanted it to be basically impossible for you all to not be noticed, right? For a bunch of reasons. One, because I think that's a really fascinating and interesting and in a lot of ways difficult experience in general. That's what I was going to say. It makes things harder. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And there are other reasons that will 
come to light later that I just realized I can't talk about. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, don't give anything away, but yeah. I think that's the biggest point is that we don't blend in. And I think that's really um, put us in a lot of weird positions that are fun to get out of. Yeah. It's actually interesting though. Cause I also feel like, I feel like that could have been pushed a lot further. Um, Cause I think, yeah, it comes up here and there and especially in the beginning with the kobolds, but I really do feel like, our you know separateness and differentness could could have played a much bigger part and i wonder if it will continue to play a big part as we go on yeah and some of that was uh some of that was intentional and some of it was just me sort of missing out on opportunities to be 100 percent honest with you oh of course um, there's a million things going on <laughs> yeah but but you're right it, it could have gone further and there there will be opportunities um, for it to go further. And there will also, like I said, not all of it was was on accident. Um, there will be some explanation as to why uh, there have been times where your otherness was not specifically noted, particularly... Uh, never mind, I don't want to say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Okay, so this is all great. I do want to, now that we've started talking about the three sort of factions here on the island, I want to zoom into the, the kobolds just a little bit. And I, I know we've sort of like jokingly addressed this. Um, and I sort of berate you all, uh, mostly kidding about what you've done to this tribe. But, but actually I, I do want to have a conversation <laughs> about how the Shimmer Scale tribe has changed the role that you all played with it in that and, and sort of how you, how you feel about it, right? You all arrived and this tribe was barely even known to exist, right? Like, the Yuansi and the Orcs were aware that they were there, but, like, had basically no interactions with them. They weren't a part of the Guardians. They very much kept to themselves. And now they are preparing to leave the Last Refuge and go exploring, right? Like, that's a big change. Talk to me about that. How do you, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I give you guys grief all the time, and, and you push back, and, and that's fine. And I, you know, the grief that I give you is is large in large part joking but yeah tell me about that it's interesting because on when it looking back at when the orcs came to cobalt territory and started attacking and like i'm flashing back to like them digging and us attacking them digging and for some reason that episode always reminded me of game of thrones oh interesting and i think like what i'm my brain is kind of going more with it and it's kind of going into like, okay, you have this world where everyone has their own thing and this is what they do and this is where they live and this is just who they are. And then suddenly all it takes is one action to completely topple that and change everything and put everybody at war. And as much as I hate to say it, like we were that one thing. Mm. You know, we started this whole thing of the orcs coming to the kobolds to kill them all. And, you know, we probably started a war with the Yuan-Ti as well. But, like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the idea of, like, everything was going fine with everybody. And it was almost bland, I guess. Like, everybody mm. had their day-to-day life and all that stuff. And you throw a... Like, just a small little wrench into it, you know, a couple Asimars and a tiefling, and suddenly <laughs> their whole world is changed upside down. And it's very, it's very interesting to watch it unfold and to think of like, okay, well, what if we had just been like, oh, we're just going to stay with you guys. We're just like, we're not going to go anywhere. We're yeah. happy out. This is fine. 
you know? So I feel like this, this whole thing could have taken so many different directions and, you know, like Game of Thrones, like you don't really know what's going to happen next. Like you can kind of <laughs> guess at it, but because sure. of the fact that it's a homebrew and you're like, all these things are coming to life for you as we're playing. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch it all unfold. Yeah. I think it also um, starts oh, a really weird conversation about, um, like the double-edged sword of globalization, which is <laughs> kind of a weird topic to talk about when you're talking about D&D. But when you have these societies that are very, you know, um, everybody looks the same. Everybody has their own, everybody has their jobs, every, you know, like that. And you bring in some new ideals or new ways of living or new thoughts, sometimes that can be great. And I think for, you know, that's the example of their you know, branching out and doing whatever. But also it kind of sucks in a way where like all of a sudden you dismantled their complete belief system and like they didn't really know what they were going to do. So they've, you know, that's why they embraced the exploration aspect of, you know, what they're going through right now. And it's, it really is, it is a truly double-edged sword. There's no, there's not more pro or con. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, globalization and also colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think especially back to when, you know, the episode when it was uh revealed that Denier had brought us here to basically evangelize and become missionaries, it really like I think that really puts into perspective the like, oh no, we were brought here specifically to disrupt life on this island. And that's a very uncomfortable uh, thing to <laughs> deal with. Like, we were brought here to make changes and, like, I don't know, maybe, sure, the changes probably could have come about in a different way and, like, I don't know, maybe they don't have to leave the island, but, like, yeah, no, we're we're the reason that everything is changing and it feels like it's a very uncomfortable place to be in, which is, like, as a player... I felt so uncomfortable when it, like that was first introduced to the game. I was like, "Oh no, we are like our purpose here is like uh sullied now to some degree for me." Totally. And and I th- I was going to come around to that and that was a way better uh segue into into this part of the discussion than than I could have come up with. Yeah. So you all found out Basically, at the beginning of season two, we did a whole, the whole thing with the kobolds, right? That was when you really first found out um, that you were brought here because you were groomed by a god from the Forgotten Realms to come and bring his word to the Last Refuge. And um, one of you is a lifelong, well, adulthood long, I guess, devotee and cleric of this god. The other three of you are not. Um, and... And yet you are here because of Denier's will, but you don't have any, I mean, you are not in any real way beholden to him. And yeah, tell me more about that because, because I want to make it very clear that like, I set up a very specific reason why you were brought here and also very specifically did not ask you all to be worshippers of Denier in your backstories, with the exception of, of Flick, um, I very specifically didn't make that be part of your life story because I wanted this tension and I wanted this decision and I wanted this, like, hard choice. Yeah. 
I think and I think that that hard choice and that tension both like you know like our personal biases as players and what we bring in but also the way that our characters feel about these things I think that's why we're at such a like confusing point in the storytelling right now because I I really feel like Kit is not about that missionary life like I don't like obviously we've already interrupted life but like at her core I feel that Kit like just wants everyone to be able to live their lives and be happy the way that they want to do it um so I think that as we go forward and we're trying to figure out what to do it's this balancing game between well we're stuck here is there a way to get home do we want to get home do we want to follow this path that was set out for us if that's what we believe or how how do we move forward knowing where we are and how we feel about it and I find yeah. it deeply confusing. <laughs> yeah, and and I I should jump in here and say that like I did. Uh, Alex and I talked about his character, and and I knew that Alex enjoyed playing clerics, and and that was very useful to the story that I uh, ended up wanting to tell. Um, and I I knew that Alex uh, could handle playing a character that perhaps would have very different goals and feelings uh, from what he as a human being playing the game would. Not that the rest of you couldn't, but I I knew that I could trust Alex to sort of be a cleric of Denier who was devoted to this god and and perhaps be a little less squeamish about the implications of uh, religious colonization. Yeah, it's easy. It's a, <laughs> I thank you say, for being game for that because y- yeah. I I understand that it's a weird it's a weird scenario to to, to put you all. in. I mean, it's in, easy to justify as a cleric that you have to worship a god. You know, like that's kind of yeah. just the nature of the the game. But you know, right. it is what it is. It's really interesting because it it makes me think of so many different things. And, and for Bizdira, I feel like she's more of like a like a, a follower of Buddha. She's just like whatever, man. Like you do you. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy life. Like live life to the fullest. And so yeah. the thought of actually, and I don't think I've ever really thought deeply about this before, but the thought of actually forcing. Or like with the consecration of the temple and like forcing mm-hmm. in the becoming a home for Denier is yeah, it's a little uncomfortable because it's like, well, you know, who are we to do that for them? Like it's Who it's are we not to decide place. that that should be the way that everybody goes? Right. right. It's their temple. And my, I mean like if this is the only way that we can get it home, like I don't know if that's something that she would actually want to do. Right. Like, in reality, she doesn't really have a home. Sure, you know. I so- will also. I also do want to um, hop in here real quick and, and point out. And I, I don't know how clear this was made um, in terms of the stuff that you all know, but I'll I'll put it out there that um, your instructions, particularly your instructions, flick uh, in terms of coming and and evangelizing to the current population, was a little bit vague because honestly, Gavrail didn't really know what the population, the sentient intelligent populations were Absolutely. in this world. Yeah. Um, the, what I can say is that he came in search of a place with a very specific set of sort of requirements that Denier was searching for. Um, and he found them here in this world, or he thinks he did, found them in this world. Um, and he didn't really look much, much deeper than that. Um, so you know, whether or not the intent was always to convert this tribe of kobolds and tribe of orcs and tribes of Yuan-Ti, uh, 
maybe wasn't so much on his radar, and that in some ways makes it even more interesting and difficult for you all because there are these populations, and there is that drive to evangelize, but also they are their own people. The other thing I want to say is, originally, way back when I first conceived of the idea for this campaign, there weren't going to be any intelligent races on The Last Refuge. Um, my very, very original idea for a campaign that I wanted to do was one of total world building. That there would be beasts and monsters and things for you all to fight, but you would be coming to a totally virgin world that you would create civilization on for a god. Um, and I wanted everything that you all did to have an impact on the future of the story of this setting. And I, I do think I've still accomplished that, but I realized that an entire campaign that we were going to be broadcasting for others with no NPCs would be awful. Um, <laughs> so, I so I added combat. That sounds like fun. <laughs> So, so, you know, we added these tribe, these, these individuals and these, these groups and have allowed you to interact with them. But, um, in the coming weeks, you all are going to, um, be given even more information. Bria, I'll just go ahead and tell you, is going to have some information from her time at the Guardians that is going to further complicate your decisions on what to do. And I want you to know, and I want the listeners to know that I, I don't, I don't expect or require any particular decision from any of you, right? And I, I, I don't know where the next chapter of this campaign is going to be, what the next overarching arc is going to be, because you all do have the power to shape the future of this world in what you do over the next well, it's going to be a while because we move rather slowly sometimes. Um, but, you know, over the next, this is going to sort of close out our season three. So season four, like, as you all decide what you're going to do next and, and you take on the information from Bria and you go into the temple and you do what it is that you're going to do, um, I have no expectations or requirements of you all and know that your decisions matter and they can be whatever you want them to be. Thanks. I have a question for DM. Yeah, please. Um, do you have a clear cut or shimmer if you will uh, of an idea of what the i guess finale is going to be um i do have some uh, a couple of ideas of of what the finale might look like you all will undoubtedly find ways to screw up all of my ideas um <laughs> but but yeah, I do, I do have some plans and, uh, I will go ahead and tell you that these plans, uh, that the, the, I, the plan is not to end at the temple. There is, there is more to be done. There is more for you all to learn. There are more decisions for you all to make. Um, I have all sorts of ideas about the future of this campaign and of this setting and of this podcast. Um, and one thing that, sort of is a through line in all of the possible finales that I've, that I've had in my head is that, um, like I mentioned, you all will, your decisions will make a big difference in the future of this setting. Um, and I want there to be opportunities for future campaigns, for other parties to, uh, adventure in this world that is changed by your decisions. But yeah, I, I do have a, a couple of ideas. Yes. Okay. I actually have a second question too. And Please? it's more of, um, I guess a structural question. Yeah. Um, sure. cause for me, whenever I would ran a, even just a mini campaign, mm -hmm. it would always be really frustrating when I knew the, the players had to do something specific and they just wouldn't do it. 
And that's why that's why I generally enjoy being a player more than a a DM because I I I tend to like to stick to storylines if I'm running mm-hmm. a game. And it's like how do you deal with that because <laughs> i know we go off the rails a lot all the time there haven't been rails since episode three right um yeah so a couple of ways um and this is i i think good advice for for anyone who wants to dm right um particularly long-form campaigns one thing that does make it easier is that this is a homebrew right so i'm not yeah. beholden to a published book um i don't have anything that is making me feel like you all have to hit certain markers there there are finales way down in the future that i that i hope to guide you generally towards mm-hmm. but one thing that is freeing is that it's of my own creation and i can change it however i want as we go right the other thing that really helps me is that i i know this world I know what's happening in this world. I know what the kobolds are doing. I know what the orcs are doing. I know what the Yuan-Ti's doing. I know um, what the prophecies mean. I know what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, and so knowing all of that, I, I can react to y'all's batshit crazy off-the-wall choices <laughs> because I can just think, okay, well, if they do this, how does that affect the rest of the world? And just sort of go with it. Um, in terms of, you know, where there, when there, when and where there are important story points that you all, I feel like you all sort of have to hit, it's 50-50. Half of it is me just writing the story in such a way that it catches y'all's attention and you want to go where I want you. And then, like I said, the other half is allowing you all to make the choice to not and, and dealing with that and finding other ways to push the story forward. Um, there has been, there have been so many. I had about a dozen possible, uh, Robert and I both had about a dozen possible scenarios for what would happen in Silfson. And none of them included you all getting captured, escaping, and assassinating the Mage Ascendant. <laughs> Not a single one of them. Um, and every step of the way, it's funny, it took Robert a long time to believe me when I said, every eventuality that we come up with, they're gonna come up with something else. And he would be like, no, 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 we've come up with every possible. And I said, no, 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 we haven't. Believe me, we haven't. Um, so, yeah, it's just for me, it is. And this has been a, it was a difficult thing when we started. For me, it's been being able to, like, let go. Right. Mm-hmm. And and have know what I know about this setting and this world and and let your choices matter. Right. In a really big and important way. And I, I hope that that has been gratifying for you all. And I hope that you all are aware of how much. And this was always my goal, but how much you all have guided and created and collaborated in this story that we're telling. Um, and it's been really fun for me. And, and I, I always did, but, but now a year and a half in, I trust the three of you and, and Taryn, who plays Bria implicitly to like be insane and be players and love <laughs> like fucking with my ideas, but also to like, be true to the story and to, and to tell this story really beautifully and to do things that I never expected. I, you know, I went back and was listening to some episodes in preparation for these and like I, that, the finale of season two, where we had the, the funeral for, for the Cobalts, like I never had any idea that that was going to happen. And it was beautiful and like really affecting and, and you all have done a wonderful job. And I, I can't thank you enough for, for, really taking care of this story as if it is as much your own as it is mine, which of course it is. Um, we're at about 45 minutes, but I'm going to, you know, edit. So we're probably a little bit shorter. So do uh, Alex and Karin, do either of you have questions for me? I have a few other things that we can talk about, but is there anything in particular you want to know uh, 
about what's happening. I will do my best to answer if I can about, yeah, about anything. What are those lights about? Oh, that I know, I can't tell that you. was one of my questions. I feel like you won't tell us. I can't no. tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm curious about what you can tell us about what's happening sure. in the world. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I will. Let's see. What can I tell you? Um, Secrets revealed. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I know. I'm actually going to drop. I I hope that this. I think you all already suspect this, and I hope that uh, I trust you all to not let it affect your characters' decisions too much. I am going to go ahead and tell you uh, a few things about Kit's, uh, Flick's siblings. Um, the first is something that I, I feel like you probably all have already figured out, but they're not on the last refuge. They're not yeah. on this island. Which yeah. means that there are other places where they are collecting other keys to access other temples, which means yeah. that, that this temple is, first of all, not unique. Um, and second of all, I will go ahead and tell you that the temples are connected and that, uh, they, this goes very deep into the history of the world, but they are all connected and they all sort of served, uh, an ancient purpose that really nobody on the surface remembers. Uh, but on the surface, <laughs> Chuckles knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like this is just giant vanishing cabinets. um yeah and i i think once you all find out a little bit more about their motivations that's going to be yet another sort of bombshell in y'all's plans and your decision making and and what you're gonna do um Mm -hmm. what else can i so what else can i tell you okay so the 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 other tieflings are not on the last refuge they're in other places in this world uh going after other temples and other keys um I can also tell you that the orcs, um, are, they are sort of out of commission for a while. The death of their leader and the shaman, um, sort of threw them into quite a chaotic, uh, sort of battle. Um, but being the martial people that they are, uh, they, they came out the other side of that sort of governmental chaos, uh, just as strong as they did before. They just needed to find a new leader. Silfson is going to take a little longer, right? They were a very specifically structured hierarchical, uh, society. And the three noble houses that were sort of next in line in terms of power and magic items after the Mage Ascendant were by design all pretty equally powerful. And so there's going to be a really long period of unrest and struggle, and uh, it's not going to going to sort of go well for anybody as they struggle to figure out either who's going to lead them or or what is next for their society. Um, and they were already really insular before you all came, and uh, it, it might be honestly it could be generations before those gates are opened to outsiders, which is going to have. Big implications, particularly for the Guardians. It's going to be really difficult for them to recruit new Yuan-Ti to their ranks, um, which is something that you'll find out a little bit more about when you finally meet back up with Bria. Um, but it's going to be really difficult for them to continue to have future Yuan-Ti involvement for a while because they are just really going to shudder themselves until things get figured out there. That's all really interesting. And I got to tell you, yeah. I... Didn't know that they weren't on the last refuge. <laughs> I, I I knew Karen did, and I yeah. knew that you were confused about it, and I wasn't really sure what Lydia thought. <laughs> I think I'm so engulfed in Flick's 
uh, wants, needs, desires, etc. Sure. That I think I was pretty fooled. And that's, I mean, it's not, Great. and like you said, it's not going to inform any decisions that he makes, but no, that, is, not. that definitely blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, they are, they are not. And I will tell you that they were on another island. Yeah, I kind of figured um, that also, that's a nice, uh, well, yeah, that's fine. Okay. All right. Um, what else can I tell you? Any other things specific? Can you tell us? Yeah. I just, because I'm so very curious, what was the festival going to be? (laughs) Oh, sure. I can tell you. So, yeah, basically, um, what would happen is every year, um, the Mage Ascendant would gather sort of the community leaders. So, obviously, the noble houses, but then also, uh, sort of leaders and powerful folks from the underclasses would bring them all. And what it was, uh, in name was it was a ceremony to dedicate themselves to the Mage Ascendant. Basically, what he would do is he would, every year, he would gather uh, 18 people up on that platform and use the power of the Shimmer Scale to uh, charm them just in case there was any unrest, any thoughts of any possible rebellion or revolution. Um, He could get the three of them, or the 18 of them, rather, to... uh, joyfully commit themselves to him and the spell only lasts for what like a minute i think or maybe it's even an hour but even if it is an hour like obviously it would wear off but the thing about the spell uh that the that the spellbinder is able to cast is that unlike regular charm person you don't know that yeah you've they been don't charmed know after the fact and so it was just his way of sort of solidifying his power every year um, for this, for this ceremony, there were so many things that were going to go wrong if you all had allowed that festival to happen. Um, one thing, he, he was very, very old and on the one hand, very cautious and very paranoid about his power. But on the other hand, in certain things, he was very overconfident and what he would not have ever uh, thought to account for was the fact that the addition of you three was going to bring the number of people on that platform above the scope of that spell. And there were going to be individuals, and likely at least one of you, if not all three of you, but there were going to be individuals on that platform that the spell didn't affect. Mm. Uh, and that was going to have some implications. Um, obviously, also, as you have uh, noticed and noted, the spells within these artifacts do work on the Days Without Magic. Um, only those very powerful spells, so only prophecy and uh, mass charm person at this point. Uh, but yes, and the reasons behind that are a mystery for another day. Hmm. Yeah, anything else as we wrap up here? What was the blue? Ah. I don't even remember the one that happened. I just remember it was the, the beginning blue. of season three. It was the beginning of season three, and I I'm trying to decide if I can tell you or what I can tell you. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I um I will t- I, here's what I will tell you. There is a good chance that over the course of season four, you will find out what it was. Oh my gosh. Polite, but vague. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, that one is, uh, that one is a little too tied to, to some diplomatic answer. All right. All right. Yeah. 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 I love Uh, it. Well, thanks for all that info. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for you all to find stuff out and, and I, you know, maybe after season four, we can do another little one of these where I can do a much larger lore dump in terms of um, The Last Refuge in the Surface World. Um, but we we have unfortunately chosen a time where a lot of answers are about to be revealed in the next season. Yeah. And I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves uh, for for any of that. 
How exciting. <laughs> yes, I think it is too. It is very much. All right. Any last minute questions? Any last minute thoughts? No, but I'm glad we got to do this. I feel like it's nice to have a moment to debrief because when we're in the midst of the game, it's so easy to let things just fly by. So it's nice to talk about it. Yeah, I'm glad we did too. And and I'm also glad that I had a chance to tell you all uh, that I don't, I do not and have never and will never feel like you all have to make certain decisions. And there's a lot of decisions in season four that are going to come up. And I have a feeling that the four of you, because we'll have Bria back, are not going to be in agreement about them. And I look forward to you all finding ways to navigate that. And and I say this all the time to you on and off the air, but um, the decisions that you make should be yours and your characters, and, and please do not worry about my story. I have so far and will continue to make it work. Um, <laughs> cool. I hope this was uh, interesting for you all, listeners. Um, I, I think it was valuable for us, and I hope that you all enjoyed. You can feel free. Uh, we're not going to have another one of these for at least another season until the end of season four. But if you have questions, we, we would love to hear from you, and I will answer what I can. And, and if you have questions for, for these folks, for the players, you can always tweet at us, uh, email us, whatever, get in touch. Um, and, and we're happy to sort of continue the conversation there. And that's where we're going to stop for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Last Refuge. Be sure to listen next week. We're going to have another little Q&A session, but it's going to be a little more focused, a little more specific about uh, the prophecies that these folks have received from a couple of different venues, what they might mean, and how they're going to affect their decisions when, in a few weeks, we get back to the story and they start having to make some hard choices. If you enjoyed your listening experience, it it would be fun if you could leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you download your podcast from. The more five-star ratings and reviews we get, the better our placement on those sites, the better our placement, the more people will get to listen. We really do appreciate it, and as we head into Season 4, we would love to up our listenership that much more. One thing I do also want to mention is, if you are spreading the word uh, personally to friends of yours and getting folks to listen, that's awesome. We so appreciate that. Word of mouth is huge for this sort of thing. One thing that we want to make sure that you are aware of and that you tell new listeners about is that we do have a bunch of episode recap episodes for season one that make a really easy and much uh, less time-consuming way for new listeners to get into the show. Um, We only have them for season one, but it's a way for folks to get caught up on season one without uh, committing to 23 hours of audio just to see if they like the show, if they like the style, and if they do, they can pick up in season two with full episodes, so be sure to spread the word about that. As I said, remember that you can reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at at dndlastrefuge. That's at D, the letter N, D, Last Refuge. We'd love to have you follow us. Let us know what you think of the show. Of course, you can also email us at dndlastrefuge at gmail.com. We've got our Patreon page where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to all sorts of benefits and perks like bonus content, early access to monthly episodes, character sheets, and more. Be sure to check out everything you can get your hands on at patreon.com slash dnd last refuge we want to thank some of our awesome patrons here in the new year thank you so much to our shimmer scale tribe leaders los Vargases and eliahu of merc grove if you want to get shout outs on the show hop on over to patreon.com slash dnd last refuge and become a patron you can also visit our website at www.dndlastrefuge.com. We have got bios for the players and the characters, fan art, and a link to our Patreon. Uh, once again, www.dndlastrefuge.com. 
As always, I want to thank BattleBards for providing a lot of the fantastic music you hear on our show, and D&D Beyond for being generally amazing in every way possible. Check out both of those services at BattleBards.com and dndbeyond.com. I want to thank Robert Hupf, my story consultant for this campaign, and last but definitely not least, all of you for listening. I am your friendly neighborhood dungeon master, DM Jazzy Hands, also known as Eugenio, and with me I have... Lydia, I play Bizdira. Karin, a.k.a. Kit. And Alex. And Flick. They are separate people. Happy gaming, y'all. Happy gaming. <laughs> I know you're going to correct me on this, but the Aranakra? Aranakra. 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 Aranakra.